0: Culture and psychology with Tabana. A very warm hello to our Radio Bomb Dad listeners. Um, uh, now we are after uh, Christmas, and I want to once again, I I wish everyone who is listening to us, I wish you had a great time with your family. Happy holidays. And I'm sitting with Dr. Rockers and Dr. Andrade, and today we decided to talk about the fearfulness of specifically men losing their masculinity um, and and their basically identity. you know, in the society by little things. So I want to start this. And um, as I was sharing with my colleagues, I read an article how fearful sometimes men are in um, in the society to be seen as feminine. And this is nothing to do with your sexuality or your, um, you know, actually identity of um sexuality, but it's just fear of appearing feminine. And that could be by just simply appearance or even behavior. So this is something we see in society a lot. And culturally we see in a lot of different cultures and specifically in some cultures more than the other. So we would like to talk about that. Where is the root of this? What it means um to be masculine, what it means to lose the face of masculinity in the society. So I like to open this conversation.
1: Well, I think you should open the conversation with your ideas on side A. Eh? Okay. <laughs> so
0: <laughs> or I
1: Alex could go.
0: Yeah, so I can just basically talk about the article more. So in this article, there's a psychologist um, who actually shares her own background from childhood. Her mother constantly talks about femininity and how you know she should actually act feminine. Or how, you know, boys act this way and girls act this way. And she grows up and she goes to college and obviously she has exact perceptions of how a woman in the society behaves and how a man behaves but she knows more about femininity because um, her parents divorced when she was two years old, and she was only with her mom, and constantly her mom was teaching and training her how to behave as a woman. And then when she goes to college, she starts, you know, having friends that are boys and friends that are girls. And then she actually liked a, a friend as a uh, you know, sexual, you know, liking. And she shared that with um, one of her boyfriend, friends that are boy, and said, oh, I think he's so good looking. And I I have crush on her. And um, the friend actually stayed quiet. And she says, why don't you say anything? I'm just asking, is he good looking? And then he said, men don't judge each other by look. And then it was just the first hit that, she just said, why men don't judge each other by look? I mean, how come he doesn't want to say anything about his look? And then he actually learned there that maybe there are men that they feel like if they judge each other by look, it doesn't look good or it doesn't, it's, it's not perceived good. So then that was the first thing that she faced. And um, when she finished the school, she really was interested in finding more and more about um, human sexuality, human identity, men versus women, feminism, masculinism. And she did a lot of research. And one of the research I read about was um, she asked 200 men and women to come to the laboratory, and she asked them, what um, would make you feel that you are appearing masculine or feminine? So for women, they were asking what would make them feel not right as a woman and feel masculine. And for men, what would they feel um, feminine if they do? And for men was little things, very little, like holding my girlfriend's purse with, with, while I'm waiting for her to go to restroom or something very little. Like if order a drink that is pinkish, it is more feminine type of drink. And for women was more important. Like I had a job that was men's job and I felt uncomfortable because I was all around men. And that was a job that rarely any woman did. So, That was interesting for her to see that why it's for women something bigger that they feel this is not feminine. And for men, something very little made them feel uncomfortable as masculine and as man. So, and then she emphasizes this is nothing to do with the quality of being a man. But why is it that men are so conscientious about not appearing um, feminine? You know,
2: I think this is such a great topic. It reminds me when I was studying for the EPPP, uh, the the test you take basically to become licensed as a psychologist. There's all these random questions that uh, are on the exam and these test questions that you have to prepare for. And uh, some of them are new information. uh, Some of them are information you should know. But one I remember as new information was that even within the first couple of minutes of life, parents start to act toward their child based on their gender in a certain way. For example, within the first few minutes of life with boys, they're talking about being rough and strong and tough, where with girls, it's being soft and gentle and precious and I think it's one of these things where, as as young children to adolescence to adulthood, you know, we're bombarded with these questions of what it means to be a little boy or a little girl. Uh, I can remember hearing the message of you know, you know, speak up, you know, uh, you know, pronounce, you know, pronounce, you know, speak with speak with base, you know, speak from your chest. This idea of you know, be heard, and and it wasn't even overtly because you're a man do that, but it was like that was the message like this is what you're supposed to do you emulate me you know And this was coming from my dad at the time you emulate me this is what you know, a man does you know you, you you shake somebody's hand and you look them in the eye you know these ideas that aren't all bad necessarily but they they paint this picture of a contrast of this is what you do as a man and so those things that don't align with masculinity or being a man are kind of looked at as, you know, the opposite, which a lot of times we know if it's not good, what's the opposite? Bad. If it's not normal, what's the opposite? It's abnormal. And so I think we get conditioned to think that to like pink drinks, to like feminine things that, you know, things that are even remotely feminine, you know, if you like candles, oh, I like candles. Oh, what why do you like candles for? What's that about? Yeah. So it, again, it's one of these things that gets, uh, you know, imparted on you that these are potentially a threat, not just to your masculinity, I would argue, but even to your identity, because it's like, this is what you're supposed to be. This is how you're supposed to act. And so it's something that I think, and and I'll say more later, but I think it's something that evolves over time that you realize that these are constructs that you don't have to, you know, follow these rules of I can't like candles. I love candles, by the way. Uh, you know, you can't, uh, you know, like pink drinks or, or sweet drinks. You know, you need, you know, scotch or whiskey, you know, something, uh, something hard, something that, you know, you have stubble on your face when you drink kind of thing. Like, no, it doesn't have to be these stereotypical ideas of what you like, what you enjoy, even what you identify, uh, you know, participating in as well.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And um, it's interesting, the gender dichotomization um, is something that she talks about in her study. Um, Jennifer, I think, Boston, uh, she talks about gender dichotomization is the extent to which we view um, her or his gender group as possessing same gender typical traits and lacking other gender-typical traits, as you said. For example, a man high in gender dichotomization might view independence and assertiveness as very central to the group men and women um, and, and nurturing, actually, as very typical of Um, group of women, you know. So we grow up with all this, but you see that in the society a lot that um, men are so much into this uh, image of not wanting to destroy that image of masculinity. And I think specifically in some areas, um, you know, are more so. Like, the culture of honor, for example, you know, it's all about those type of masculinity. And and in this article, she talks about women simply are women, but men have to work for becoming a man and keep that honor of manhood. And, and she talks about history and that elusive of manhood that you can Um, reach that point to feel like the society has accepted you as someone who carries all qualities of being a real man and it's easy to lose it. So you're always under pressure to keep that image in your community and specifically in some cultures. So even though it's elusive is something that, um, you see that all the time in the society. So in some cultures, she also talks about being a real woman, also has some qualifications that you have to have in order to be called a real woman, but that is way less pressure um than what it is for men for men. So I like to hear more about this um specifically from you guys.
2: I, I see Daniel his brow. I'm wondering if uh, the extent of all this this feels like weight or pressure in that way uh, Is this uh, a lot for
1: you Daniel? Well no I, I like candles too Alex so <laughs> thank you thank you Just uh, letting you in on that part. I don't I think that what we're talking about here is traditional gender roles. and I think it's easy to I hear a lot of people pushing hard against traditional gender roles. If we look at what they are about, they are guidelines for how to develop. And I don't, my take is I don't see them as being good or bad. I don't throw them into that category. And a lot of people do throw them in a category and they want to push against, which is a whole nother issue. But they're, they're just guidelines that society or cultures have developed in order to help people grow and know what to do and it is every my belief is it's everybody's developmental task that at some point in their life then they examine those and say well does those, do those fit for me and if they don't fit okay that's cool at least you had training wheels to get yourself going in life so that's what i think traditional gender roles are about i don't see them as good or bad i think they're fine I think the one of the places the problem enters in, though, can often be how they are taught. Because a lot of times they can be taught, and I can speak from the perspective of a male, they can be taught in kind of a shaming way that if you don't do this, then you are such and such and you get called or labeled some certain way that, is meant to be very shaming to get you back into line, so to speak. So I think that's where a lot of the problem enters in for me. I think these problems come in. And we each have our own responses about them. You know, Like Alex, you said, you like candles. Hey, I like candles too. I like I don't mind wearing a pink shirt. I don't have an issue with that. But I don't wear a pink shirt if I'm out generally in public by myself. I'll wear a pink shirt if I'm out with my girlfriend. And, you know, it's just one of those things I've had people look at me or respond in kind of a not nice way if I was wearing a pink shirt. Males, I'm talking about. Yeah. So there's I think there's a lot of different reasons why people may do that. Earlier, we were talking about or you mentioned it, Saidae, holding the woman's purse. I don't have a problem with that. You know, if Jan wants to go to the bathroom, I don't care. I'll just hold the purse. It's not my purse. It doesn't make me any difference. That doesn't mean it needs to apply to everybody else. You know, every other man, some men may not want to hold a purse. Hey, that's cool. Some men may find it fine just to wear a pink shirt by themselves. That's cool, too. You know, we're all humans. We're all individuals. We all have our our idiosyncrasies and our uh, things that bug us and things that don't bug us. I think those are important things to keep in mind. Alex, do you have some comment on this? I do.
2: I have several comments like on it. Jump uh, in, yeah. yeah. Well, let, let's leave it on a, a bit of a cliffhanger though, because uh, we got to take a quick break. And uh, yeah, definitely want to respond to several of those things that Dr. <laughs> Rockers is mentioning. So yeah, I want to encourage listeners if you want to hear me and Dr. Rockers go head to head, come back <laughs> and listen. Yeah, yeah.
0: دوستانه بندگان اسیس راژیو بامداد من امروز به همراه تن از همکاران و دوستانم از شرکت توانا در خدمتون هستیم دکتر الکسندرادی و دکتر دانیل راکرز ما امروز در مورد بحث جنسیت یعنی در حقیقت هویت جنسی نیست ولی ظاهر مردا که همیشه خیلی برشون مهمه مردونگیشون رو حفظ کنن و زنا زنونگیشون رو حفظ کنن و اینکه چقدر در تاریخ و فرهنگ های مختلف این مسئله مردونگی و زنونگی مهمه البته اینطوری که ما داشتیم راجبی صحبت می کردیم و راجب مقالهی که یکی از روانشناس ها نوشته بود بیشتر مردا براشون این مسئله مهم هستش و ما تا کنون راجبی این مسئله صحبت کردیم الان یه بریکی داریم که برمیگردیم دنباله صحبتمون رو می کنیم. ولی میخواستم خدمتون بگم که ما های شنبه و یه شنبه از رادیو بامداد داد به زبان انگلیسی صحبت می کنیم. اگر که کسانی هستن در منزل از برنامه ما استفاده میکنن خواهش میکنم ازشون دعوت کنیم برنامه ما رو گوش بدن و اگر سوالی یا پیشنهادی داریم با رادیو بامداد تماس بگیرین که ما رو در جریان بذارم و ما در صحبتمون بگنجونیم زمینم پادکست های زیادی ما ایجاد کردیم در رادیو بامداد در زمین های مختلف روانشناسی و فرهنگی که میتونین در ساعت مناسب ما رو سرش کنین تحت عنوان culture and psychology و به صحبت‌های ما در زمینه‌های مختلف گوش بدین برمیگردیم بعد و دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم. We're back with Dr. Daniel Rockers and Dr. Alexandra Adi, and we continue our conversation regarding the role of men in the society, the role of women in the society, and how men are um, running away from doing anything feminine type or feminine like um, to appear um, less masculine and more feminine. But I wanted to also add, um, according to theories of hegemonic masculinity, one of the core directives of male gender role is anti-femininity mandate. So boys and men must avoid femininity in their behavior, personality, appearance, interests. Whereas both men and women receive pressure to avoid acting like the other gender. Um, Feminine male targets are evaluated more negatively than our masculine feminine target. So we know that in the society, if we see a man acting more uh, feminine, it seems way worse than if a woman acts more like a, a masculine type. So we continue our conversation. And also I wanted to mention that, um, gender dichotomization is more uh, seems like more mandate for men than women. And I want to just continue our conversation. I think Dr. Andrade wanted to respond to Dr. Rockers.
2: <laughs> yes. I jokingly set that up so that there would seem like some controversy, but no, a lot of the things you said, Daniel, I totally agree uh, along the lines that you were mentioning just right now, so day, and and Daniel mentioned too, I I do I believe that it's this idea of like shaming in that way, of really trying to, as a guide, encourage boys to be a certain way. But then I think that it can get lost in that if it's too stringent, it's too kind of extreme in that way. And that that shaming, you know, we know that guilting and shaming doesn't encourage healthy and positive growth in that way. And so what I think we find is that growing and developing. A sense of assuredness in oneself allows a person to find a balance of what does it mean to have both masculine and you know quote unquote masculine and feminine qualities in that way, and that you can coexist with both of those things. But uh, a lot of times, I find it's you know as we're talking about this, I'm, I'm thinking about how even as we become assured in that sense of it for ourselves like you said earlier it's this idea that can be lost i think men are the first to challenge another man if that's the case daniel you gave example of the pink shirt you know i and it's funny too because i remember consciously making the decision to start to wear a pink shirt and this was probably a good you know about 10 years ago now where I like was like, can I wear a pink shirt? Can I pull that off? Like, does it look, you know, you know, kind of casual enough, comfortable enough in that way? Um, and and so, really having to think about it, like, what what is that? What message does that send? And and maybe not as much now that we're talking about it, I'm thinking about it out loud, not to 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 women, but more to men, and not necessarily even sexuality, but this idea of masculinity and femininity that well that way. And so to, to find, you know, these little things that we can get caught up on that we're going to be challenged in some way or that we're going to be confronted. And to me, it's one of those things where I, I have a, a, I feel like I have a secure sense of myself and who I am and, and, you know, my identity in that way. And so I get really annoyed when people kind of challenge me on those things, because it's almost like this, this immaturity, like, oh, you're wearing a pink shirt. And it's like, yeah, I am yours green okay, like, okay, that like, that's, that's what you're focusing on the color of my shirt, like, you know, and and I think there are some men, because I say individuals as well, who, because there isn't that assuredness of themselves in that way, or it's, it's built as such a threat, anything that deviates from that norm, that they react to others, not following and adhering in that way. So it's, it's either a place of, Insecurity or or a threat, you know. He also mentioned to the idea of saying that another guy is attractive. Yeah. I do recall a time where it's like I could not say that, like you're not supposed to say that. And, and again, it's this this rule that's kind of uh, kind of imparted upon you, like don't say that. It's going to sound a way. Where now it's like oh, I could say, oh yeah, he's a good looking guy, or or you know, I'll tell a friend, like oh man, you look really good. I like that shirt, you yeah. know. And so it's like, wait, no, that doesn't indicate any less of my masculinity, even being able to tell, you know, male friends, Hey, I love you. Like, you know, I really value you. I appreciate you. You know, that's like, Oh, what you love me. You know, some guys are like, you love me. Like, what are you talking about? You know, it's like, no, like that you can have love for a friend, you know, for, for somebody you care about. It's not always romantic. And so uh, there are those people who are very guarded, very threatened by those things. Daniel, I see you laughing. It sounds like you, you've maybe uh, know these, these guys that I'm talking about who are so, fragile when
1: it comes to these things. Yeah, I think what happens for a lot of people, not just men, but men and women probably, is they end up identifying with the role so much that without those guidelines of the role, then we don't know who we are. And that sounds like a lot of 70s um, psychobabble, I'm sure, like, find out who I am. Mm -hmm. But if you've ever gone through a situation where you have lost essentially lost your identity and i don't mean like um like an amnesia type of loss of identity i i went in graduate school the first year i went to moscow for the summer because i had studied russian the summer before the russian language and so i went to moscow i had an opportunity to go there and when i went there i intentionally did not take a job because I didn't want to take an English speaking job because I wanted to practice the language. But what happened for me, I found, I noticed this is when I arrived in Moscow, essentially I did not have much of a reason for being, I wasn't, I didn't have a job, which we usually identify with, and I had recently left my job to start graduate school, so I no longer had that identity. And I wasn't studying, I wasn't actually in graduate school at that time. So I wasn't a grad school student and I was in this foreign country where English was not spoken, it was only Russian. And I knew one person there. Our social support is part of our identity too, but I had no one essentially. And the anxiety was almost unbearable. And what I realized as I was there, was it was because I didn't have an identity. I didn't really have like a purpose. I wasn't working anywhere, didn't have friends. All of that stuff resulted in me not having an identity. And that's very, very scary. It's very threatening. So I think that what happens for a lot of people is that they may identify so much with these guidelines or roles that they can't think outside that and it freaks them out. And so if somebody else is doing it around them, it can be very nerve wracking and they will try to get you back in line.
0: I was gonna also say, um, as far as I remember, uh, there was something in um, our study books during the time we were studying about uh, sex role inventory. And that was Dr. Bim, who actually talked about that. And it was talking about androgynous And uh, in every one of us, there's femininity, masculinity. And uh, some people have high masculinity, high um, femininity. Some have low masculinity um, and high femininity. And just, it goes, uh, you know, in a chart. And research shows that those that they have high masculinity and high femininity that call that endogenous, they're the ones that they have high self-esteem. And um, in the society, they walk their heads up and they feel good about themselves because they don't feel they have less of any of these, you know. So that actually is a very interesting topic just alone to talk about what it means to have high masculinity, high femininity. But the other thing I was gonna say, Jennifer Bossom, who we were talking about, she started this whole topic and studies. She did a study about um, two of the tasks that she created for people, um, the college students these men and women came to the lab and she created two different tasks. She assigned some of the um, group to braid the hair of a mannequin. And then also another activity for the other group was to actually braid um, ropes. So she's talking about two tasks that are the same. One is braiding hair of a mannequin, and then the one that is braiding the ropes. But to the eyes of men, braiding the mannequin's hair seemed very feminine, whereas the braiding of the rope was masculine. And then after this activity, she assigned two different activities, but she didn't assign the group. She just let them pick whatever they want. And these two other tasks was one was um, uh, a brain teaser game. And um, the other one, I think, was something very masculine type, like um, I think push-up or some sort of activity, physical activity. Mm -hmm. And she's observing and she's taking notes and she realizes those that they were assigned to braiding the mannequin's hair, they immediately went to that masculine activity. So they were feeling like they're missing part of their masculinity. Now for proving it, now they, they tend to do a very masculine type of task. And the other people who were braiding the ropes simply went to the brain teaser game because they thought it was fun. And one of the things she points out is, If you pay attention, people who feel like sometimes they're missing out something from masculinity, they tend to do something in place of it to show, hey, I did that, but that's not me. This is who I am. And they turn to do something else to recover what they were showing deficit of. You know?
2: That's funny. I was just thinking about that too. I was thinking of what are the. Kind of markers within my own identity that align with masculinity. And that's a great point, too, that idea of where if somebody doesn't have those things, they try to counter that in some way. So, for example, like I'm pretty tall, I'm over six feet tall. And so, what I notice is that men who are shorter sometimes, I've known men who are shorter who really emphasize like strength and fitness. They they want to be really either fit or, you know, kind of indicate their strength in some way to kind of counter that. They may not be tall, but you know, I can beat you up kind of thing. <laughs> and so it's like, okay, if I don't have these one thing, then I'm going to kind of counter it for that other. And I hadn't thought about it in that way, but I think it's very true. I, I've had, you know, men even tell me, uh, men who I was taller than like, oh, well, you know, just because you're tall, you know, doesn't mean that, you know, and I'm like, what? Like, I didn't even think about that as, you know, kind of coming into relation with this thing that they were thinking about. But because they don't have that, they're focusing on on that. So uh, it's, it's definitely uh, something that's interesting where it's like, OK, I need to I need to counter what I don't have.
1: Alex, you were threatening to them. And I wasn't trying to be, (laughs) but again, trying to be.
2: Yeah. It's just like, oh, okay. I don't have that. You're this. And so that's a threat. Yeah.
1: You are uh, quite tall. I, from the holiday party, when we took those (laughs) photos, I saw those photos. I'm like, wow.
2: It was funny too, because I was telling my, my, my parents about that. I was like, they were joking. Like I look like a giant next to you guys. in that
1: way <laughs> you're very tall.
2: And, and, you know, it's even those things where as, as we, we have those certain things, we, we are blind to them sometimes. Like I forget that. And, and I'll even have women tell me sometimes like, oh, you know, uh, women, you know, love tall guys. And it's like, I'd only imagine like if I was shorter, like what that, you know, uh, what that must feel like, you know, my brother who is actually shorter than I am, we've had this conversation where it's like, oh, well, you know, you're really tall. So, you know, it, you, you must be able to do, you know, whatever you want. Like he almost thinks I have like the keys to the world in some way. And him, I always think, cause he's really fit. Like I always joke, he could do like one sit up and he gets a six pack. And I'm like, you know, you're fit without trying, like that's attractive to, you know, the opposite sex in that way. And so we're both focused on the thing that we don't have and, and feel like that emphasizes masculinity probably a little bit more than we even realize.
0: And also, it seems like a lot of social achievement is more important for men uh, throughout the history. Maybe now it's different, but um. It was another study that um, this uh, person, Dr. Boston, has done with other psychologists. And they actually, when they were asking the college students to write about um, how they felt when they were moving from being a boy to being a man and from women, um, you know, explaining how it felt being from a girl to a woman, for men was... A lot of pressure to um, have a lot of accomplishment, a lot of achievements. But for women, um, and and then what was the worst thing for men was like losing their job. So it seems like it's their status, but for women was more physical, so if a woman, for example, had to do surgery and have hysterectomy, that was the worst thing for them. But for men, was losing a job. So it seemed like for women, womenhood was more physical, but for men was social status. And it seems like um, I'm sure even now uh, in every society, even in most democratic, most... Um, equal, um, you know, countries, um, and, and even in jobs, when you look still, most of the high level jobs, most of the political high level jobs, most of the management, you, you go to the education field, for example, you know, there are a lot of principals that are men, but, um, you know, teachers are mainly women. You go to organizations, you know, executive directors are men, but then you see a lot of management, um, you know, managers or directors that are women. But usually you go on the top um, positions and you realize in the most democratic societies, um, I mean, Europe has changed a lot, but still, you know, you see this when you compare the numbers. Um, So it seems like uh, social status Still is it means a lot to men and even in the minds of women. And it's interesting in this study, she talks about how men and women both actually care about a man's social status, it's not just men themselves. So maybe that becomes even more pressure, um, you know, because even women actually look at men with their status more.
2: I was wondering that too, as Daniel and I are talking about some of our experiences as, as, as men, I was wondering Saideh from maybe your own perspective or, or, you know, maybe women you've talked with, you know, do you find that that is really emphasized or that feels like that's put over uh, other aspects or qualities of an individual, like their job, like you were mentioning?
0: I think, uh, to be very truthful, I what I see and um, what I have noticed, even in most women I'm associated with, whether from um, you know different cultures, even um, American women that I'm hanging out with, and they have very good paying jobs. Still, they care so much about the status of a man's job or. Um, this status of um, you know level of pay that they have, so it's just something I think in the nature that has um, you know that the value we give to a man's profession, to a man's you know job, and I see that even in most working women's you know when when we have conversation, they. You know, they may not really break it down into way we are talking about, Mm -hmm. but from, you know, they're talking, you sense that they care about that.
2: Interesting.
0: We got to another break and um we come back to continue our conversation. Um, Shanwaniganaz is a radio bomb dog. I said, I'm more of a zaboning Gilisimishnabin, more of yek shambo yak shambe, but Dr. Andro Diva, Dr. Rockers, Dar had my tun has him, Babesaboning Gilisis of uh, Agar said, i تا کنون نشنیدین و تازه رادیاتون رو باز کردین و فکر میکنین کسی در منزل از برنامه ای ما به زبان انگلیسی استفاده میکنه خواهش میکنم ازشون دعوت کنیم به برنامه ای ما توجه کنن ما در دو قسمت برنامه اگر صدای ما رو نشنیدین و تازه دارین گوش میدین راجع به های بین یعنی مسائل اجتماعی در مورد زن و مرد صحبت میکنیم و اینکه چقدر مسئله استاتس اجتماعی براشون مهمه و چقدر حتی برای زنا این مسئله مهمه و چقدر فشاری که روی مردها برای نگه داشتن این مردانگیشون این البته ربطی به جنسیتشون نداره ولی همین رفتارشون و برخوردشون تو اجتماع که چقدر مهمه مردونه باشه و چقدر فشار روشون هست که این به صلاح موقعیت اجتماعی مردونه رو از دست ندن برمیگردیم بعد دنباله صحبتمون رو ادامه میدیم part of our conversation, I want to bring up another issue regarding the same topic, but uh, something that was in this article I was reading, and that was, um, you know, it's important to also understand uh, the jobs that some of the men, it's very important for them not to get into those jobs because there are more feminine jobs than masculine jobs. And in the past, in this article, it says bank tellers were mainly men. And it was just perfectly okay for men to be bank teller. But recently, this study shows that being a bank teller is more women's job. And that's why some of the men are hesitant to go to that job. And also, they talk about some of the men rather to wait and don't get into the jobs that are more for feminine jobs and they talk about in this article about a guy who actually grew up in part of the ohio which was a small town and it was very uh, culturally um specific about what men do what women do and this is a small town and uh, town they um actually had different activities that men would go to those activities and different activities that women would go to those activities. And this guy talks about how he was grown up in this society with this perception of what kind of jobs men have, what kind of jobs women have. So um, he actually talks about how poor he was He didn't have any money to do anything, so he um, graduates from high school, and he goes right to the military. In the military, he talks about how 18 hours he was working, and the rest of the time they were spending with men there um, talking about different things and hanging out, basically, and all his life was work, work, work. Then when he graduates um, and finishes her four years or some other years, I'm not sure exactly, but um, because of his service, he actually qualifies for GI Bill. So he gets a scholarship to go to school. And uh, at that time, he was married. um, And then his father-in-law, who was a respiratory technician, he tells him, why don't you go to nursing? because nursing is a profession that uh, pays good. And obviously now he's in the hospital, who knows more about jobs in the hospital. And first he is very offended of that um, because he feels like nursing is for for women. How could I do that? But then anyways, he ends up finally going to nursing. And then he talks about his job and how much his um, male friends were laughed at him first when they heard he is going to nursing school. So to make this story short, he finally becomes a very successful nurse, finishes nursing school. He's 10 years into nursing. He is in high stressful part of the departments that he's working with because he's really good at it. They put him in um, uh, cardiac a department or a ICU. He's a really good nurse and all of that, but he talks about us still. How much he's offended by by things he hear from even patients. You know, some of the patients say, "Oh, a man being a nurse. You probably you were not smart enough to go to medical and continue becoming a doctor." Or he talks about his male friends to talk early to him about his nursing profession. But one thing he says, which if we go back to that study that Jennifer Boston had done, that men who do um, something that is more feminine, then they want to recover with something that is masculine. And Alex, you also mentioned something about um, height. Um, he talks about how much every day he goes and he works out and he wants to be built and show off his body. So every time he goes and hangs out with male friends, he really wants to be built. And then that really actually affirmed this study that had been done and also what you said. So I want to say the job also, the workforce that is also absolutely applies to that too.
2: Reminds me, I had a uh, friend who was a a nurse and uh, he would comment on how people would call him a nurse, uh, a male nurse. And so they would combine the words. Um, But he he was like, you know, I love what I do. You know, he's like, I don't, I didn't want to, you know, go on like people always ask him. And, you know, he was, he was happy in what he did. Um, And yeah, I think it's sometimes there is, in some subtle ways and some not so subtle ways ways that we try to counter that but uh his friend who i'm mentioning i mean i, I remember him being really happy with what he did and uh, he was good at it too and so he was like and he kind of he would poke at that he's like yeah i'm immersed. you know like yeah you want to call me that like it doesn't it doesn't have any power over me i've heard it you know a dozen times i'm gonna i'm gonna turn it uh, into something i'm gonna take the power out of that word by by kind of owning it in that way and so uh yeah and i i never because i knew him i respected him never thought oh you know you're less than in that way or you know oh look at you you're a male nurse what's wrong with you yeah it's just like again that idea of like okay why is that a threat or you know an issue to somebody uh interestingly too i used to be a bank teller too and so uh-huh. but i i never thought of it as uh A feminine or a male job. Uh, I I was young. I needed a job. It was a job. (laughs) They paid me. So uh, yeah, that's what I did.
0: Yeah. And also I was going to say one of the other thing this um, male nurse talks about is There were four or five of them in the school of nursing when they were going. And he says, we kept our friendship. We stick to each other. It seems like now we are a different group. We know each other. We understand how we go through sometimes in the society, what we hear, what is it there for us. And he says, it's it's really something for us to stick together because we, we are the only ones who really understand each other.
2: Yeah, I think that's very natural. There's these, these uh, uh like not clicks, but these these smaller groups within groups when you're kind of a minority, whether that's yeah. related to gender or sexual yeah. orientation or race or whatever it may be. Yeah, it's like you're gonna you're gonna kind of click together a little bit. Yeah. My cohort of 12, there was only three men uh in my cohort of 12. And I remember we would kind of click because of that. It was just yeah you know, it's, we're we're the smaller, you know, uh, we're not the majority in that way. So,
0: you know. Talking about nursing, uh, Florence Nightingale in in London, what is the history behind it that uh, 1,500 soldiers uh, died in Crimea and uh, everybody was shocked? And then she was the one who actually gathered a bunch of women. I guess they became like a big number of women going to Crimea and taking care of the soldiers. And um, they realized that the uh, sanitation wasn't good in the hospitals. And then when she came back, the first nursing school actually was established by Florence Nightingale. And from that point on, nursing became all became all women field. Uh, And it took a long time to take that away and actually include men in that. But I mean, the history background is also important because they thought, you know, caregiving is women's job, not men's job. But this nurse actually says, I have two daughters now. I take care of them. I as much as uh, I feel like women is responsible, I am also responsible. So, I mean, that perception gradually has changed. Even the role of um, father at home is now different, you know,
1: from before. Persistence of cultural stereotypes is pretty durable. It takes a long time for things to change. But I would argue that, and I don't know if it's necessary to argue something at this point, but I think it seems to me like there is an argument against cultural stereotypes. Do you guys get that sense or not?
2: I do. When, when they're, I think what it's tricky though, when everything is construed as negative, then and that that's a stereotype. And so, and that's the thing, a lot of times the stereotypes, there are, commonalities or norms or, you know, even base rates where it's like, okay, this is a common aspect within a culture, but it doesn't have to be negative. I think the stereotype piece is when it's flipped and focusing just on the negative part of that. So it reminds me of the uh, talk that I gave uh, for Tavana Inc, actually, to a, a a group of youth. Uh, in the summer school program, which we're actually writing an article about right now, which we're hoping to, uh, which we will, excuse me, post on the uh, Tavana Inc. website, um, as well as a, a local uh, association, Sacramento Valley Psychological Association. Uh, that in that talk, I talked about masculinity in, in different cultures, and specifically, uh, like in, in the Latino culture, the machismo is usually construed in a negative way where it's uh promiscuity it's you know even this idea of like, like verbal even physical abuse uh, you know this idea of you know womanizing where there's a lot of positive uh, aspects of the machismo too where it's a dedication to one's family uh you know really this 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 kind of giving of oneself to to your family as a man, in, in in the sense that you're proud to be the head of the household, you're proud to ensure the well being of your family. Where you're you'll work, you know, two three jobs. You'll work, you know, uh, you know, insane hours. It's like that's what you do as a man, and that's a positive thing to to give to your family in this way. But the as you were mentioning, Daniel, the stereotype is the negative aspect of that machismo, where it's like, oh, okay, you know, you're womanizing. Uh, you know, you're, you have different, you know, kids all over the place, things like that. And that, I think, cuts because, yeah, that, that happens. We could say that happens in multiple cultures. You know, it doesn't have to be specific. But when it's singled out is, oh, because uh, like, for example, one of the racial microaggressions towards uh, Latino women specifically is that, oh, you probably had a kid when you were 16. And it's just like, OK, that's, you know, something that women will encounter and it's just like okay that that doesn't you know that doesn't feel good that doesn't help in any way, and so yeah I think the stereotypes to your point the stereotypes if we're just focusing on the negative parts of the of those ideas of a, a race or culture then yeah that could be hurtful and, and, and insulting in a way.
1: But do you think that a cultural stereotype is different than a role identity that's perpetuated by culture?
2: I think it could become that. I think people can can get their identity. And again, I think it comes with the the lack of assuredness in one's identity that it's easier to conform to a stereotype that the world has already preconceived than becoming your own individual in that way. Because it's, you know, it's scripted almost. It's like, okay, well, I could just be what people are expecting me to be. Even if that's negative, at least you could point to that and say, I am that. And I think that's kind of, unfortunately, you know, limiting of an individual, because I think it goes back to the example you said, those, those, those gender kind of, uh, you know, what was the word you used the, the the gender rules can be encouraging and helpful, and especially at earlier parts in our life, we need that to guide us to some extent, but I think it's also important to look at the individual as well. And so we could say, this is what it is to be a boy, but. Who are you at the same time? And so that combination of those two things can be really encouraging. So if we just went with this is what it is to be a boy, you know, we're just stereotypical person and we can, you know, lack a sense of self, a sense of identity in that way. And I think that can happen within cultures as well.
1: But isn't that what gender role is? Isn't gender roles, aren't they just generally stereotypes? think not, not in a bad way, I'm thinking. It's, isn't the same mechanism going on there? Yeah, isn't and then
0: it? you pick it from the role of other gender that you see, you know? So like role model. So at home, you learn from your mother if you are a girl. So you just pick those. And then if you're a boy, you pick from your father. So I think just naturally, uh, and I want to add something else to this. Also, a lot of emotional and a lot of who you are as a person kicks in as well. Like, for example, let's say we talk about the stereotype, men don't cry. But if you're an emotional person naturally, and then you have teary eyes, you become sensitive to things, it's your nature. How do you change that? You know, even you just naturally go against the stereotype regardless, because this is who you are, and you can help it. You're soft, you're sensitive, you want to help, um, you know, and that is nothing to do with your masculinity. Um, or or we've seen many tough women, it's nothing to do with femininity, but it's just their nature. They just, they can hold back their emotions and keep it, but they're men that they, they show their emotion, um, so I think how you are seeing those role models in your life, and how you naturally go through, you know, interacting with them and learning from them.
2: I think along those lines too. It's it's you know we have we we sample we take a little bit from everybody we meet. So like you said, first it's our father, then it's our uncles and then it's our neighbors and then it's people out in the world. And each of those, you know, if we're open, I think to some extent we can, we can grow and add those experiences to, and they, they shape our own identity in some ways. And so I think it's one of those things where, yes, I agree with you, you know, that those gender roles can be a part of our identity, but like any role in our life, I think, you know, there's a piece of that that we take, but that shouldn't be all of our role. For example, if we were to say our work role, our work identity is our only identity, then we find that we're very limited because if we're not that because of the change or even just this contrast that happens in the world, as we're talking about masculinity and femininity, then it becomes, okay, well, I have to either adhere to that strictly, or if I don't have that anymore, if there's any question then I, who am I? What am I? Where it's like, no, it's there's a lot of gray in in any, you know, uh, kind of position we take. There's going to be not just an opposite, but a lot of ambiguity as well.
1: Well, what yeah, what you're describing is essentially what I call the retirement problem. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. This is a problem that people run into when they retire if they've so identified with their job that this is all they know and all they do. They haven't really developed themselves other than that. They're pretty unidimensional. And when that dimension is peeled away, bam, it's not fun. That's the loss of identity, like what I said when I went to Moscow. Who am I? And it's not just 70s psychobabble. This is a real deal. And if you haven't experienced it and you do experience it, then you'll know what we're talking about.
0: I think that's why sometimes you realize that, especially we heard in the past a lot, that you retire, you die, you know. And a lot of people, it's such a shock to them, retirement. Seriously, I've had a few people that I heard that they retired and immediately they died. It, it's, it's been so hard, retirement. They lose their status. They don't have any other things to do. They become um, either stressed out to the fact that, you um, They um, actually have um, such a shock to their system and uh, they have a stroke or they have heart attack or however um, they they pass. But in in any case, just because of that, um, you know, some people are sticking to their identity by their job. So now the society has changed. People have a lot of different hobbies. They retire and you hear everything about their enjoyment in life. And I haven't seen anybody since last 10 years that they have retired and they don't talk about how much fun they have, how much they love it and all that. So it seems like things have changed and people have learned not to stick so much to their status or to their, you know, um, actually jobs. So anyways, with that, we are getting to the end of our program. And as usual, we each say our statement and we end our session.
2: I'll jump in there first. Uh, yeah, I just wanna encourage, you know, always try to be aware of you know, how we see the world, uh, those expectations, not only that we put on ourselves but others, and that comes to all aspects of our identity, including our gender, as we've talked about today.
1: I would say develop yourself in other ways than just the one identity you have, other than just job or whatever, however you identify yourself figure out uh, some different hobbies or interests, things like that. Biggest problem, I, one of the biggest problems I run into with people who are coming in for counseling, injured at work, is they don't have any other interests. And when one thing gets lost, everything is lost.
0: And I want to encourage people to think what they want themselves rather than what the society says, what is the stereotype. Be proud of who you are. Be proud of what you do. Really focus on that more than anything. And don't get into what the society wants or what the stereotype says. Because I know in many cultures, these stereotypes, you know, have, had their place and um, sometimes it's not really good to pay attention to so with that i want to thank my colleagues uh, for having a wonderful conversation today and we come back to continue um, to talk about another psychology psychological or cultural topic Um, with that we wish you a wonderful saturday night سدوم باور که تو خود خسته‌ای باور کن قلبی که کن بابر کن دستام و بابر کن که ساغه نوازشه بابر کن چشم
2: من و کن
0: که یک قصیده خواهشه راسه یه عاشق
1: شدم
0: التهاب لحظه ها، حسرت فریاد کردن اسم کسی با صدا اسم تو هر اسمی که هست مثل قزم چه عاشقانه قربت وسه مثل صفه مثل قربت صادقانه
1: verkur ist mein po verkur
2: man fast
1: nie
0: باور
2: کن همیشه باور کن که من به عشق صادقم
0: باور کن حرف منو باور کن که من همیشه عاشقم